Sunday, July the 17th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. What's in your hand? We were going to talk uh, today uh, a lot about the community hub, but then uh, we realized getting into this week that so many people uh, are away this weekend, we thought it might make more sense to uh, to postpone that. Although I will end with some things, uh, perspectives on all that God is saying and leading us in with regards to what he is doing. So this summer series, we're going to think about what we, what we carry. What, what do I have in my hand that God might want to use? What's useful for him and purposeful for him? What have I got that he might be asking of me? So today it might seem like a rather strange place to start, but the Bible is full of paradoxes. And, and where we start is sometimes in the Christian faith uh, surprising. So we start today, what's in our hands? Actually, nothing. Nothing is in our hands. The Bible teaches us to begin the journey from a place of emptiness, from a place of recognizing that actually, in the end, when it all comes down to it, whatever we think we have, actually, there is nothing in our hands. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the, I cling, from the old hymn, Rock of Ages. There was a certain um, uh, uh, demographic that suddenly knew the end of this. So another one. Singing majesty, your grace has found me just as I am. Another demographic in our congregation speaks out. I should have found a kid's one as well uh, uh, to uh, get everybody. There's that sense in which as we come to faith, as we come to God, we come realizing that we, that, that anything we have is, is nothing. We, we, we can't, we can't bargain with God. We can't earn stuff from God. We can't impress Him with all that we have. We bring nothing. That anything and everything that's of good, that's of value, that's of worth, in the end comes from Him. Everything comes from God. And it's that principle that was established right at the beginning of the Bible when we start learning about the journey of faith. The great hero of faith at the beginning of the scriptures in the Old uh, Testament, Abraham, the first great character, Genesis chapters 1 to 11 are, are about creation and the fall and the way that humanity uh, works or doesn't work. And then from chapter 12 of Genesis, right the way through the whole Bible, there's this journey of faith of God calling people back to himself, of God rescuing and restoring and healing and, and saving. And it begins with this man Abraham. And God calls Abraham to follow him. 
And the Bible describes it like this, using language that would have been appropriate in that context, the language of covenant. And when two people made a covenant with each other, they would both bring things to the covenant, promises and gifts, and they would both walk between each other in order to establish that they were both kind of uh, much deeper and more significant than a business partnership, more like a marriage partnership, an unbreakable promise, that they were both bringing things into this covenant. They both brought things and were held together by those promises. But when God makes the covenant with Abraham... It says that only God walked among the pieces. It's that verse uh, that we have there on the screen. The, the blazing torch, that uh, symbol of God's presence, passed between them. In other words, it was all God's doing. Everything about it came from God. Everything would be sustained by God. It was his promise and his commitment alone that undergirded, that was the foundation of everything. And so before we jump in with all the things that we have for God, we recognize that ultimately, in the beginning, we come with nothing. And it's all about what we receive from him. God's so lucky to have what I bring. No, no. We are amazed by his grace that he should invite us in even though we have nothing. And we kind of sometimes want to protest about that. There's something in all of us, I guess, at different levels that wants to reassert that actually we, we have got some stuff and we, and there are things that uh, surely we can bring to God. Uh, and then there's this reminder in Deuteronomy, remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. Same words. God's promise is confirmed by the reminder that even though you've got some skills and even though perhaps you're able to earn some money and even though you're able to achieve some things, all of it in the end is a gift from God. It comes from him and it's for him. And so not surprisingly, as we take the sweep through the scriptures, these principles, they run like a kind of threads, like cotton threads right the way through the tapestry of the Bible. This is one of those threads that runs right the way through. We get Jesus who says, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all me, says Jesus. It's all God. Nothing in my hand I bring. And so as we think about what we have... As we think about what we might use, we have to step back first of all and recognize that anything we might begin to think that is in our hands is only there because God has placed it. Anything that we think we might have is only there because of God's grace in our lives. Any opportunity, any skill, any resource is only there because God gives it by his grace. So what's the posture? What's the response that we need to make? If this thread runs through the whole of Scripture, that all of it comes from God, what's our posture? What's our response? How, how do we lean into that and respond to what God is, is offering us and this principle that everything comes from him? The posture that we are called to adopt in response is one of surrender. 
we recognize that it all comes from God. And the more we recognize that it's all God's anyway, the more willing we are to surrender, to give it back to him, because it was never actually ours. I'm surrendering everything to God because it's his anyway. And that's the response that equally runs like a thread right the way through the scriptures. If we think about Jesus for a moment, going backwards, the, the process of discipleship is, is exactly that. If you want to gain your life, what do you need to do, Jesus says? You need to lose it. You need to give everything back to God, and then you'll discover the life that you thought you would have by holding on to the things that you've got. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is a painful process. It's a painful process to to give to God what we think is ours. To lay before him what we would be tempted to think is our right. And we see this principle, this posture established way back again if we go back to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham and God said, I will provide all that you need and you can be confident of this promise because I am sure and certain. I'm making a covenant with you. And the promise, at the heart of the promise to Abraham, was that Abraham would become the father of a great nation, and that that great nation would be uh, like a, a father nation to many nations, that all peoples of the world would be blessed. It was a massive promise that God made. And then time went on. And Abraham didn't see very much happening. And so maybe he began the journey with God by surrendering and saying, well, God, it's all up to you. But there came a moment in the journey when Abraham, in his superior intellect and wisdom, thought that God wasn't doing it right. And he moved from that place of surrender to grabbing hold again. He moved from that place of trusting that God would be faithful to his promise to believing that he needed to do something to fulfill the promise because God wasn't up to uh, the task. And and this happened um, uh, on a number of occasions, but particularly... Particularly, you'll remember that Abraham and Sarah, they said, well, if we're going to be uh, uh, the, the father of a, if Abraham's going to be the father of a great nation and Sarah is still not pregnant, then we will take matters into our own hands. And Sarah and Abraham agreed this plan that Abraham would sleep with Sarah's maidservant, uh, 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 an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar, uh, and therefore Abraham would have some offspring. Instead of surrendering, they took back control. And that's caused a whole history of heartache and pain ever since because of that choice. And it's why the sacrifice of Isaac, so later on to complete the story, they surrendered back to God and uh, in the end Sarah became pregnant way beyond childbearing age and uh, she had a son called uh, Isaac. And then God said to Isaac, sorry, said to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. The very promise, the very gift, the very thing in Abraham's hand that would make the promise come true. I want you to give it back again. I want you to surrender it again. 
And we read those amazing stories of Abraham having learned such a profound lesson that it's all God's anyway, so I will surrender it back to God. And we know the story. God, of course, didn't uh, 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 call uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but provided a, a, a lamb. But the point was this. Is Abraham learning the posture of surrender? That it's all God's and we don't need to take it back. We give it to him and we leave it with him because it's his. Which takes us to the boy with the loaves and the fish that Chris kindly read to us some moments ago. The feeding of uh, the 5,000 or the however many thousand were actually there, including women and children. What did he do? What, what's, the, what's the story, the lesson, the, the undergirding principle? It says, I love that phrase, Jesus had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus had in mind the lesson that he wanted to teach. Jesus had in mind what he wanted to say. And uh, we know that this is early on in John's gospel, establishing again this principle of, of how we operate with what's in our hand. There were three options, I think, that the boy with the little Subway snack had. Three things that he could do in the face of everyone getting hungry. Option number one, I've got my lunch. I'm going to enjoy it. That was his first option. He, he'd looked after himself. He'd got something in his hand. He'd got his loaves and he'd got his fish. This is what I've got. I'm going to keep it to myself. Everyone else should have arranged their own lunch. They haven't bothered. Pull up the drawbridge. Go and find a nice quiet spot and eat his lunch. And there is an element, isn't there, that we respond like that with what's in our hand. What's in our hand is what we've organized, what we've earned, what we deserve, what we've established for ourselves, what we've created, and it's mine. There might be all kinds of needs out there, but this is mine. I've looked after myself. They need to look after themselves. So I'm pulling up the drawbridge. I'm keeping what I've got to myself, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to do my best to shut out what's going on out there because they haven't provided for themselves, and this is what I've earned, and therefore this is what I've uh, deserved. And there's an element in which we all do that with the things that we have. We metaphorically find a perfect shaded tree away from the rest of the crowd and enjoy what we believe we've been given. You with me? Option two. Option two is I get to the tree where I'm shutting out the crowd and I'm enjoying my meal and I take a bite. Would you bite the bread or the fish first? Both together, you have it as a sandwich. And you begin to enjoy your lunch, and what happens? Sorry? You feel guilty. You feel guilty. Here am I enjoying, oh, I, maybe I should share it a little bit. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't keep it all to myself. And do I do that out of a sense of uh, love and abundance? Or do I do out of a sense of guilt and a certain amount of lack? And can you see how we also do that with the things that we have? 
We know that we're called to share. So I'll share a little bit. I'll share a little bit. And, and I'll share a little bit because it will ease that sense of how I feel about keeping it all to myself. I know that's not really the way I should be. So if I share a little bit, then it leaves my guilt. Everyone will feel better. I mean, we know the, the way that, uh, that charity sometimes works like that. If I, I'll give a little bit because then I won't feel so bad about what I have. And that's, uh, that's option true, isn't it? And so instead of looking at the big picture or giving his loaves and fish to Jesus, he says just to a few people around him, you know, have a a little bite of my sandwich. Just the bread, don't take the fish. Have a little nibble. And, And he shares perhaps with a few people and ends up quite disgruntled probably because they didn't have enough and now he didn't have enough. And so he's hungry Somewhat annoyed and frustrated because after all, he was the one that brought the lunch. They should have brought their lunch. Option number two. Option number three. Sorry, wrong slide. Option number three is what happened. Is what happened. But notice what needed to happen for it to happen. There was a moment in the story when the boy had what? Nothing. He'd given... How did it feel when they took the lunch, the pepperoni subway, and they... and they? It just disappeared off into the crowd. That's my lunch. And and it disappears. That's the point of surrender. When we literally allow what we have, the freedom to be used in God's kingdom purpose. When we no longer own it, control it, hold on to it, but we're willing to let it go for Jesus. He recognized that in the end, it wasn't his to cling to. So what do we do with the things that we have? There might be things even now that I'm talking about that you think, well, all of that's in option one. I'm not sharing that with anybody. This is mine. And I'm enjoying that. And I'm a bit uncomfortable now because this conversation makes me feel guilty, which pushes me into option two with a few things. And, and, and sometimes we're in option two, aren't we? We, we, we know that we've got what we've got and we share it a, a little, a little bit. But then there's this invitation at the heart of this story. Invitation that runs through the whole of the scriptures is are we willing to surrender what we have to God? Why? Because it's his anyway. And as we give it away, did that boy get enough to eat at the end of the day? Of course he did. And so did everybody else. Because God can be trusted. And we trust in the provider rather than in the provision. He could have remained trusting in the provision. This is my lunch. This is what I've got. I'm trusting in this to feed me. No, no, no. He trusted in the end in the provider, Jesus himself. There are two enemies, I think, uh, to... uh, this posture of surrendering. The first enemy of this 
or to this posture of surrendering is fear. What if he gives his lunch away and he gets nothing back? What if his own needs aren't met? And so we can fully understand the boy just hiding what he had away and nibbling on it quietly somewhere else, which reveals where our trust is. Where is that kind of fear at work in our lives? Keeping what we have close to our chest for fear that if I'm generous, if I give it away, if I share it with others, somehow I will be left in a place of lack. Anyone know what I'm talking about? That if I offer it out, then I'm the one that will lose out. Fear stops us living generously. It stops us being gospel good news people that says that all that I have belongs to God and his kingdom. And so I share it freely and liberally because all of this stuff is not really what provides for me. God is the one who provides for me. And this stuff is just a symptom, just an illustration, just a a momentary way in which God provides so it can come and it can go. I trust in the provider rather than in the provision. So where are we afraid? Afraid that if we live generously, afraid that if we offer, go to that space, we go, really, there's nothing in my hand because it's all God's anyway, that if we live in that space, that we'll end up in a place of lack. And if the first enemy of surrender is fear, the second enemy of surrender is probably lack of faith. You can hear that expressed, can't you, in the verses there. What's the point? What's the point in giving away a few loaves and fish in the face of a whole crowd? He might just as well have enjoyed it because it's not going to go very far. No one's really going to benefit from it. So he might as well just keep it to himself. And we can think like that. What have I got? It's so small anyway. There's no point giving it away. There's no point sharing it. I might as well just enjoy it because it's not going to go very far. It's not going to meet many needs. It's not going to make a difference. I only have a little time, so I might as well keep that time to myself. I only have a small house. I only have a, a small amount of this. I, I only have that little opportunity. Whatever it is, it's, it's, it's insignificant. It won't really make any difference. All I have is just a couple of loaves and fish, so I might as well just get on and enjoy them because they don't make any great transformation in the huge scheme of things. And so we don't offer things. Ultimately, because we lack the clarity that small things go a very long way in God's kingdom, principle, and purpose. But if we don't believe that, if we're not confident of that, then we might as well just hold on to it ourselves. What use are loaves and fishes in the face of such a vast crowd? What, what use is what I've got in the face of such huge need? We need to pay attention to the small things. What small things do you have that actually get multiplied in God's kingdom purpose in ways that it's hard for us to conceive before we start offering them? 
And that's been the, the, the beautiful journey of this whole Burlington family. Is that you offer just a, a little bit and, and it, and it just slowly begins to grow. Because that's what happens when we say that what we have isn't very much, but it's all Jesus's anyway, so I'm going to let him do what he wants with it. And that multiplication begins to happen. And so, uh, years ago, uh, up in the old halls, we had a few, we had sort of the, uh, what was Tillywinks and a, and a toy library beginning to make inroads into the community. Small things, we might say, and we offered what we had, and it began to grow, and then we ended up building a church centre, not because if we built a church centre, something would then happen. But we started building a church centre because we needed to house the kind of things that God was doing as it began to multiply. And so the, as we go on this journey of offering the small things that we have, multiplication begins to happen because that's God's kingdom principle. God takes what we have and fans it into flame. And so over the years, we've seen loads of community things burst forth, either things that we're doing as a church or things that some of uh, you, you are doing uh, uh, as part of your uh, journey and commitment to God. Feet for the Street was born and Route to Freedom came out of that and Elevens uh, is on a Saturday and the food that we receive from Tesco's and or Nando's or wherever it is and, and, a, and a giving giving away. The work at Impact, for example, Sherry and others work at Beam, the youth and their well-being groups, the DOV, Open Door at Christmas, feeding people over the last 25, 30 years, the Winter Night Shelter, Time to Sow, and so on. All, all these little plants that began to grow and have flourished in so many different ways. What started with one small idea begins to multiply as we give ourselves to God and his kingdom purpose. And the same has been true of the buildings as we, as we kind of given the buildings away in a, in a different sense uh, up in the, up in the halls, the Alpha After School Club, Caribou supporting African women, the training courses for, to help people get jobs that are, that are often uh, held in this building and so on as we partner with others. Each of those things might of themselves seem like just a little bit of loaf and a little bit of fish. And yet you can begin to see how in God's hands, something bigger than the sum of the parts begins to take place. And as we say, all this is yours, Lord. All this is yours, Lord. Then there have been open doors in, in ways that we hadn't imagined. And, and at the moment, there are huge open doors. The, the, the council, so supportive of the things that we're doing and longing to partner uh, with us. Conversations with the CCG, the local kind of medical provision with uh, wraparound services and social prescribing and, and uh, work in the community, longing to, to, to partner with us in new ways, fundraising possibilities that are emerging. And you begin to see how as we offer the loaves and fish that we have, that we can easily go, it's nothing. It's nothing. We've got a few little ministries. I don't think they are a few little ministries, but we could easily think just, well, it's just, we're just doing our thing. We've got some buildings up there that are now all a bit run down and they're not much use for stuff. 
But if we offer, this is what we have, Lord. And, and in the end, it's a gift. It's all from you. So we're giving it to you. We're giving it to you. We start that journey of surrender, of, of saying it belongs to him. And suddenly it becomes so much more. Suddenly it grows in ways that you suddenly go, how did that take place? And that's what happened that day on that hillside, isn't it? How did those loaves and fish get turned into a meal for everybody? It just happens. With that sense of trust. And so I think as we're on this journey, just to, to, to make a few comments about the community hub. It's, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the journey that, that, that we've been on of God just offering the little things that we have to God and, and seeing them multiply and, and, and seeing them grow. And, and we don't do something in order for something to take place in terms of buildings, but we do stuff with buildings to catch up with what God is doing. This is a lovely space, isn't it? Isn't it? I, I mean, it's just wonderful. Super space to be in this morning. And it kind of just catches up with what God's been doing. And as we push on with offering our loaves and fish into the community and see all kinds of things growing and emerging, as we push on with that journey, as we, as we say, Lord, it's, it's all yours, do what, do what you're, then, then that belief that we need buildings that will just catch up with what God is, God is doing to house the things. To facilitate the things, to, to create that beating heart that we've talked about for the community around. So let's rein it back in. Where is God speaking to us, uh, this morning? What does it, what does it mean to surrender? To surrender to God? Is there something that's, that's been in your mind, in your consciousness? As I've been talking. And what fear is stopping you giving something to God? And do you have faith that what you have is valuable? Where, where would the Spirit of God just touch our hearts today? And it can feel like a, a layer of kind of challenge. God wants more from us. But honestly, I, I think that that boy that day ate more than five loaves and two fish. It says there was so much left over. There's an abundance that comes to us from God himself. And it's out of that sense of abundance that we can surrender. Out of that sense of abundance that we can say, I, I will not let fear get in the way of me giving to God what's his anyway. And what is it right now that God would say, that's only a really small thing. But if you give it to me, 
if you recognize that it's mine all along. I can do more than you'll ever imagine. The immeasurably more that the Bible talks about. What's God saying? And what am I going to do about it? Are you able to name something that you can surrender today? And speak to the fear in the name of Jesus that if you surrender, you will not be left in lack because the God of heaven provides. And as you name that thing that uh, you sense God is asking you to surrender, can you speak faith over it? That it's not just only, or it's only this. But it's something with the potential to achieve immeasurably more as it's given to Jesus.